Blog Talk Radio. Yes, yes, episode 37. We are back in a rare Friday night podcast, the Friday after Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and the Friday after, of course, game on a rare Friday night podcast, about as rare as Clay and Steph getting you 20 points and Barbosa and Livingston getting you 31. So a very rare podcast, a rare evening last night in the NBA. We'll talk a lot about that and more. Welcome to Inside the Burger Shop podcast, a discussion at the intersection of sports, culture, new media, technology, and more. It is Friday, June 3. Uh, looking forward to what looks to be a relatively rainy weekend in, uh, in the tri-state area, specifically in New York, which doesn't sound too promising. Headed down to the city of brotherly love tomorrow morning for an event down uh, in, in Philly. We'll make sure that I, of course, stop at either Pat's or Gino's. I've been blessed over the weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, with the birth of my third uh, child, Winnie Florence Berger, and just an adorable little girl. So uh, we'll be schlepping down the starting five, the whole crew down to Philadelphia, and uh, grab a couple cheesesteaks and head back up to uh, – to the New York area as we have a big Little League playoff game Sunday morning. So hopefully that rain holds off and everybody can enjoy what really is, I guess, the first kind of couple weekends after the summer, uh, as the summer has begun. Uh, but it feels a little bit like the summer hasn't started yet. Usually you need to, you know, July 4th to really have the thing kick in, although it was so warm last weekend in Memorial Day. It was, you know, fantastic to feel. So um, hope everybody will have a great weekend, and you could download the podcast and listen to it over the weekend or out on your commute on your way out to the beach over the weekend or on your way home, of course. You could subscribe to the podcast at Inside the Burger Shop on iTunes, uh, just search it out, and you will find it. Um, 
Two quick things on today. It is it is National Donut Day. A shout out to my daughter who's addicted to to donuts and and loves them. And and shout out to my dad. It's funny. I was in a meeting yesterday with about twenty people, almost all of them under the age of twenty. And I was talking about the line that my dad wrote. I guess. Uh, 40 years ago, uh, 35 years ago, called Time to Make the Donuts for Dunkin' Donuts. And it's a line that, you know, everybody still knows. And in this meeting, I brought it up. And of the 20 people in the meeting, 18 of them didn't even know what I was talking about. And it just made me feel incredibly old and uh, and sort of opened up my eyes. So shout out to everybody for uh, enjoying their donuts today. Uh, and on a more serious note, prayers up to, uh, to Muhammad Ali, some just terrible news today. Obviously, Ali has fought through a, a, a terrible disease through a lot of a lot of his life, and now seems like he's very very sick. And hopefully, uh, Muhammad Ali, the greatest, can push through this and and continue to live such an incredible life. And and so many people, of course, are pulling for uh, Ali. So hopefully, everything will you know will turn out okay. Of course, the show is brought to you today by Hyper, Hyper Brands. You can check out Hyper at hyperbrands, H-Y-P-R, brands.com. Hyper is the leader in influencer marketing. It is the largest search engine in the world, the Google of influencer marketing, with over 700 million influencer profiles to connect directly to brands. Hyper just launched its 2.0 platform this week, so make sure you head on over to hyperbrands.com and sign up and learn more about their platform. We're also joined as another one of our partners by the Crowds Line. The Crowds Line is the leader in predictions. Head over to the Crowds Line, thecrowdsline.com, and make your prediction today. When we, when we look at what happened last night in the NBA, the Crowds Line made their prediction, and they predicted that the Cavs, even though they were six-point underdogs, would win the game outright, 105 to 104. And actually, the crowd's line was wrong. Uh, the crowd did not get the spread right, but it did nail the over-under. Um, the crowd was anticipating clearly that Cleveland would play much better defense last night. That did not happen uh, to some degree. Of course, they played very good defense on the two stars, but the other team, uh, the other guys on the roster really got to Cleveland. So uh, these guys, everybody who had made their predictions was wrong as far as the uh, spread was concerned. When we look at game two on the crowd's line, and it's still early, but similar to game one, the, crowd, the crowd's line thinks that the game will be a much closer game. Uh, with still Golden State winning by two points, but Cleveland keeping it within the spread of six. The crowd line is also taking the under. So I guess since the crowd saw uh, yesterday's game, they think this game is not going to be as high, and therefore they're, they're thinking it will be more of a defensive battle. Cleveland must split this road trip. It's, it's, it's a must game for them Sunday night. Going down 2-0 usually isn't the end of the world, but I have a hard time believing you're going to beat Golden State in four of the next five games. Uh, so head over to thecrowdsline.com. Make your prediction today. Get started with the, the, the game. It's unbelievably fun. These, these predictions can all kinds of cool ways to make predictions. Be rewarded for your predictions. Head over to thecrowdsline.com and make your prediction today. 
Shout out to our last guest, Tommy Beer, one of the great NBA uh, experts out there. And we talked to Tommy about the really, really interesting Western Conference series. And Tommy liked Golden State to pull that out. And Tommy was right. And then he liked the Cavs to beat Golden State in the finals. And you know, we saw a little of that uh, in game one last night where the Cavs uh, really, really worked hard on Clay and Steph and did a tremendous job in shutting those guys down. But at the same time, uh, when you do shut those guys down and how many action picks they run and floppy sets, they were paying so much attention to the stars that they really sort of let the other guys like Iguodala, Barbosa, Livingston do their thing. And, uh, and that is why Golden State is so tough. They have so many ways to beat you. It is very, very rare to ever see a team have two superstars and those guys not do anything, and the team still win by 15 or 20 points. It's just something that you rarely ever see in the, in the, in the league. And I thought going into this series the key would be can Cleveland's bigs stay on the floor the way Oklahoma City's bigs did, and guard Golden State the way uh, they need to. And uh, what we saw last night was a little bit of that, certainly in the first half and sort of through halfway through the third quarter. I thought that those guys stuck them pretty well. I thought you found Tristan Thompson out there and Kevin Love. And, of course, the reason why you want those bigs to stay on the floor, and last year they could not stay on the floor, and Cleveland had to go small, is, the only way to beat Golden State is what OKC did, pound them on the boards. And, uh, and the challenge with that is, of course, guys like Kevin Love, they, they just can't stop in nosebleeds. So how do you keep those guys on the floor and at the same time keep the level of defense that you're looking for? And what we saw last night was sort of a combination of all of that. And in the first sort of half and certainly through halfway through the third quarter, you saw – some of that, but as time went on and the pick and roll was happening more and more with Steph and the two guys running out, these guys are such great passers and they leave Draymond when they double team to a three-on-two uh, set for the most part, and he's such a fantastic passer, usually makes the right decisions, and you saw the ball just continue to spread in Golden State. And obviously the key with Cleveland coming back in game two, and we just discussed it with uh, – with the crowd line is they have to win game two. They're not going to, with five games left in a series down 2-0, hard to believe they'll be able to beat Golden State four times. I expect a monster performance from LeBron. I mean, here's a guy who basically had a triple-double last night, and most people, including me, thought he played average at best. So I expect big numbers from LeBron. I expect Cleveland to be much more physical. A lot of stuff you saw in the first quarter, quarter and a half, even first half last night. And, uh, and looking forward to a good one because I, if it's not a good one, this is going to be a short series and, uh, and Steph and company will be raising uh, their banners on a back-to-back titles and the 73 uh, win season. And then, of course, the conversations go into how good is this team um, and, you know, are they the 96 Bulls? Are they this? Are they that? And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, our, with, about that with our next guest. And uh, we are excited to welcome Bonnie Bernstein to Inside the Burger Shop. Bonnie's one of the most accomplished, uh, certainly women in all of sports journalists and I believe sports history. She's now the vice president of content and on-air host at Campus Insiders, and you can catch her also on Dan Patrick's show, ESPN, NBC, Fox, and more. Bonnie, welcome to Inside the Burger Shop. I appreciate you taking some time on this Friday evening to chat with us a little bit. 
Hi, I'd like to order um, a well-done burger with mushrooms, sautéed onions, and Swiss cheese. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, am I calling the wrong place? <laughs> no, you're not. You're calling the wrong place. It's the grill is always on. It's always on on the show. So feel free to throw anything on. It's sort of funny you said that because when I was growing up, I remember my dad saying, "If you ever make it on Sports Center, your nickname has to be well done." Oh, I like that. I, I mean, I might have gone with cheesy, but you know, maybe I would could be persuaded to go in a different direction. <laughs> well, I've gone through all the names because I uh, I had a baby on Friday, my third child, and we were going through all. Thank you. And we were going through all the names of the different kids, and the name that I really, really liked was Kobe. But it's challenging to name your kid Kobe Burger, so we moved away from that and, and didn't call that. But I've gone through all the names and all the combinations, and uh, and there's not a lot of things that you could put in front of that. So you need to be careful, otherwise your kid will be you know roasted on the grill the way uh, you're on the grill right now. Oh well, you're going to grill me. I didn't know that was part of the deal, but I will I will do my best not to get fried on the grill. You were born in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is in the house, of course, uh, here yeah, today. Yeah, what, and, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm fascinated with your career path. I'm fascinated with what you're up to today, so I'd like to sort of bring the audience up to speed on what you've been up to over the past uh, couple of years. And, you know, everyone knows you from, you know, on air uh, over at ESPN, I guess, in 1995 when you really started there, which is actually when I graduated high school. So uh, That's I might be... a lovely <laughs> reminder. Thank you. <laughs> you covered Jordan's Bulls, 95 to 98 at, at, at ESPN. And, you know, you, you caught us talking briefly just now about last night. So you have had a first uh, up-and-close look at that team for those couple of years led by... Uh, Big Chief Triangle, Phil Jackson. Now give us your sense of what you saw with that team versus this Golden State team. You know, are they in the same arena? Are they in the same wheelhouse? Are we talking a very different comparison? Love to get your two cents on you know that a little bit. Well, I just think the game has evolved so much. You talk to some of the old school guys, guys who you know, started playing in the 80s and the pros. You talk to Michael, you talk to Magic, you talk to Bird, all those guys, and some of the old school coaches. There was a time when coaches abhorred three-point shooting. I mean, it was by and large with, you know, the exception of, you know, I, I always think of, it's funny, Steve, Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler on those on those um, those yeah. 90s Bulls teams were the guys who were coming off the bench, the sharpshooters, the spot-up guys. Um but, you know, it's in this day and age where I think people more and more just love scoring and love seeing people like Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson just, you know, shoot from the other side of the building and drain it with their eyes closed and practically their, their arms tied behind their back. It's just fascinating. But, you know, I often hear the discussion, the debate over, whether LeBron James is the best of all time, whether it's Michael Jordan, whether we're starting to have that conversation about Steph Curry. And the thing for me that it always comes down to is, is the level of tenacity, that death look that we, we joke about Kobe and the Kobe death stare. But there was never a day 
that Michael Jordan wouldn't be on the court and want to take the game over. Now, he didn't always, and his game evolved. I mean, I remember early in his career where he can literally take off from the free throw line and jam it down like nobody's business. But later in his career, he developed the, you know, turn around, fade away that be kind of, um, you know, became somewhat of a signature shot for him in the twilight of his career. I think what we've seen from LeBron, step, step's not there yet. You know, I just defensively in particular, yes, he has, he's led the team to the promised land, but on a night like last night where neither Steph nor Clay Thompson had good games and, and there was such unbelievable production from the bench, what we saw from Golden State last night is reminiscent of, you know, the Spurs teams that won because what I loved about, Popovich and his Spurs teams was that those are truly team, the dynamic of that is truly a team. Those are team wins. Where you know there are times where LeBron single-handedly, like when he was with Cleveland the first time around, you know he single-handedly took them to the finals by himself. But LeBron has had to develop that fierce mentality. There's still part of him that wants to pass when he should be shooting. So, you know, when it comes to making these comparisons, having seen the Bulls and covered that second three-peat so closely, I just don't think we've seen anybody that comes to as complete and consistent over a long period of time of a player as we've seen Michael Jordan. But, you know, LeBron still has a few years left before he decides to uh, kick back and focus on his endorsement, so we'll see. And Steph, while he really has, improve defensively just in terms of being an all-around player I just don't think he's there yet as beautiful of a player as he is to watch shoot yeah no agreed completely and it's funny you mentioned LeBron it's you know he he gets picked on so much in this social media age and and you know I know I want to talk to you a lot about social and 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 what that means in the world today and every play is you know, when Jordan and those guys were playing, there was no outlet the way there is now. And now everybody has, you know, an opinion. And, you know, it's interesting with LeBron because he isn't that assassin scorer. He'd prefer to always make the right play, the right pass. And he some people believe be. it's... He can be, Ryan, but, but it's in spurts. Like, remember the, the series against um, the Celtics, Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics a couple of years yeah. ago. And I believe it was game six, and he had a 40-point game. And that's when he turned the assassin on. But it's not there every day. And I I feel like LeBron sometimes needs to get either to a level of frustration or the proverbial back up against the wall before the assassin comes out. Whereas with Michael, that dude woke up in the morning eating assassin cereal for breakfast. Yeah, no, and that's where I was going with it was that LeBron might make the try to make the right play, but the difference in to me him and Jordan has always come down to besides the ability to score is how bad you want to win. And you know, Mike, while he was friends with Barkley, he was crushing these guys, and he was in a way being friendly with them to bring them in so he could crush them even more. All he cared about was winning, and I think that's the biggest knock on LeBron. I mean, if he loses here, he's two and five in the finals. It's hard to sit here and say, as big time of a player is, he just clearly doesn't have the, I I will do whatever it takes, including rip my friends' heads off because I need to win. Right, and, you know, the other interesting thing, too, and I've heard Bird and and Magic talk about this, is that what they assembled in Miami, that was a big three by design. 
you know, they, they said to Pat Riley, we want to put together this three-headed monster that's going to win championship after championship after championship. So Bosch comes from Toronto. LeBron comes from Cleveland. Wade's already, you know, helped lead the Heat to the 2006 championship. And so, you know, players, I feel, and it's not to say that Jordan didn't have power. He certainly did. But I think players in today's age have more of an opportunity, more of a say, to dictate who winds up where. It was really LeBron wanting Kevin Love to come. And it wasn't until Love actually got to Cleveland that they realized that, you know, it's going to take a while for him to find a place to fit because while he's a missing piece in a prolific shooting big, you know, he didn't really fit into the scheme of things. And that's why you've seen Love have issues on and off because you've got immensely talented guys like a LeBron, like a Kyrie Irving. And then, okay, Love, who is used to being the star on the team and and the piece that the rest of the team revolves around, he's not that guy anymore. So, you know, while I I think it's really interesting that, that there are some players who have the power, when we sit there and compare modern teams to what we saw in the 80s uh, with the Lakers, the Celtics, what we saw in the 90s with the Bulls, it's just it's a different time where players are more empowered than ever. No question. And, again, we're talking to Bonnie Bernstein. You can follow her on Twitter at Bonnie Bernstein. We know from Hyper and the Hyper data with Bonnie at 120,000 Twitter followers and almost at 8,000 Instagram followers. So big on social media. And, you know, it's funny, you know, when you look at the NBA today, you're right, they're empowered. I I look at Kevin Love and I actually think he still could be the guy that teams build around or is a number two. I mean, he had monster years with Minnesota and a couple of those big-time years. The thing is, is they – I actually think Cleveland uses him like Judd Bushler. They make him stand at the three-point line and say you're a three-point shooter and while he really shoots it well. I thought last night he was more involved. He was more he had mm-hmm. the ball. He missed a lot of chippies but he was more involved. He was on the boards. I, I thought he played fairly well until the last you know 20 minutes of the game and so I, I want to sort of Fast forward a little bit, a couple of years, you leave ESPN, you head over to CBS where you have you know, it's sort of a dream opportunity, lead sideline reporter for you know, the Final Fours, NFL Today, working with Nance and Sims, covering Super Bowls, basically working on all kinds of major events from the NFL, uh, U.S. Open, even gymnastics. You know, what was your favorite takeaway from those years at CBS? Was there a f- favorite moment, a favorite sporting event that you covered? You know, there were so many incredible ones, and you know, watching you growing up was you know, incredible to see all these uh, amazing events that you were covering. What sticks out in your mind from those CBS years? Um, I was say there are maybe three opportunities in particular. I mean, what I was doing over at ESPN when they first hired me, hired me, I was covering events, but I wasn't part of the broadcast team, which is it's completely different to be part of the crew calling the game and having the opportunity to work with uh, Dick Enberg and Dan Deardor for several years and then um, the last three years working with Jim Nance and Phil Sims just to be around the best in class in our industry was just, it was such an incredible opportunity for me. Just watching film with Phil Sims, you know, <laughs> if I say that to any guy who's a football fan, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I would die to do that. I got to do that every single week. And he was great with me. And Jim Nance was a big brother. But in terms of specific events, 
Um, I would have to say that the 2002 NCAA men's basketball tournament was just an unbelievable experience for me because I was a Maryland alum, and we got to cover every single one of the Terps games uh, on their run to the championship. And Gary Williams, I had known since he came in my sophomore year in college. So I had had the opportunity to interview him when I was a kid, but I also suffered through the very dark days of Maryland basketball between, you know, coming in right after the Len Bias cocaine overdose and then Bob Wade, who came in after Lefty got nailed for all these recruiting violations, and we had a TV ban and we had a postseason ban and there was a scholarship freeze. And, and I had, you know, I was on, you know, the difficult side of that too because I didn't wind up getting a scholarship until my senior year because of that scholarship freeze. So, you know, having all of that personal history at the University of Maryland and having the chance to cover every single one of their games and see the kids, Juan Dixon and Lonnie Baxter and Gary Williams stand on that podium with tears streaming down their eyes, watching one shining moment and having such an attachment to that was incredible. Um, I would say the second is the first Super Bowl I covered, which was in 2001, and it was Giants-Ravens. And growing up as a Giants fan, I was assigned to um, to cover the Giants. And even though they got their butts kicked and it really wasn't much of a contest, um, I, I sort of felt like my life had come full circle. I grew up idolizing this team and idolizing Phil Sims, and I'm on the crew with Phil Sims. Covering the game and interviewing Jim Fossil before the game, I just felt like the whole time I was in this fog, and maybe that was a fog of denial because I really didn't want to see what was going on in the game. Um, and then I would say the third is is um, maybe a little bit more of a, a somber experience, but um, and I'm not sure if a lot of folks would remember this. You probably have to be in, in your 40s or 50s, but there um, is a wonderful uh, young man by the name of Travis Roy, who was um, a hockey player at Boston University. And he was taking his very first shift freshman year for BU, and he sort of half-checked a guy and wound up crashing into the boards um, and and ultimately became um, a quadriplegic. And I was tasked with going to do an interview with Travis's parents um, up in Boston, and I was only 26, 27 years old at the time. And, you know, I think reporters back then and those of us who really pride ourselves in being truly genuine journalists, one of the important things is for us always to be able to keep our emotions in check. And I remember asking Travis's father, Lee, and, and Lee and his mom, Brenda, were sitting right next to each other, and we were wrapping up the interview, and, and the last question that I asked him, I said, you know, my mom always taught me that out of something tragic comes something good. And, I, and I'm asking him, you know, for you, what could that be? And I saw his eyes welling up and Brenda's eyes welling up, and, and I, like, I just really got caught in the moment, and, and we had to stop rolling because we all just got so emotional. And wow. and while you you want to stay detached to a certain degree from your interview subjects, there was just um, I don't know Ryan. I guess I guess the only way to explain it is there there was this this moment of bonding, and 
and it was one of those stories that on my on my tough days I always think of Travis. He is such an extraordinarily resilient human being. He went back to school. He got his degree. He does color commentary for BU, and he's a huge advocate for um, spinal cord research. And so, you know, you never you never really know when those opportunities to cover impactful stories are going to come your way. But I think because it, it came for me at such a young age, it's something that while no, it's not a Super Bowl, no, it's not NBA finals, it, it will, has been and will always be one of the most meaningful stories I've ever covered. It's really interesting to hear. And it's something that when you get under the hood and the kind of job that you have, it's not always so uh, high profile and, 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 you know, sexy. And instead it's real life stuff that happens. And, you know, without people like you telling that story and helping share that, you know, not a lot of people would know and, and hear about that stuff. So it's a, you know, kudos to you for being able to, you know, to pull stuff like that off. And those are always the stories that everybody, um, you know, ESPN does a great job with sort of doing a lot, showing a lot of those dreams and stories of children and other people that have, you know, have come to life and out of a tragic situation. So it's, uh, it's good to hear. Um, you know, after that, you went back to ESPN um, for a number of years and worked on uh, some incredible shows that most people know, hosting NFL Live and Rome is Burning and a show that I absolutely can't stand, First Take, so I'm happy you're not on that anymore. Um, it, it was different back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were, the difference was you were on it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met, we, we met a couple weeks ago, and I was fascinated with our conversation. I was fascinated knowing what, where you've been and what you've done and what, you know, what you're up to now. And I think before we talk specifically about what you're up to, I actually just want to talk a little bit about ESPN and, and how different it is from certainly your first time there and, and, and the second time there. Um, it's very much in parallel with where, what you've done with your, with your brand, moving from big national global channels and big global national events to more something that is ownable and strategic and something that you, you know, are passionate about. And, you know, ESPN has moved from uh, incredible talent that they've born and they've created and, and rid themselves of a lot of them and viewership is down and people are watching different things in different places on different, you know, iPads and stuff. So what is your thoughts on where the sports media sports landscape is today? You know, it's, I have a show that you're on right now. I've had very large uh, sports media guests on this show. Um, this is something that couldn't have happened five or ten years ago, and now all of a sudden everyone has the opportunity to do something like this. You know, what's your thoughts on this landscape and this change, sort of starting with what's going on at ESPN and how that's haloed across basically the entire industry? I think to a certain degree ESPN for a very long time had a monopoly on the industry because they are a cable channel and because they are a cable channel with, many different um, assets under the ESPN and the Disney umbrella, really. Um, they've made an inordinate amount of money based on cable subscription fees. So, you know, you look at your bill, and if you order cable every year and you see the breakdown, ESPN gets about, I don't know exactly what the number is now, but last time I checked it was about $6.50 a subscriber. So when you think of all of the different cable companies that carry ESPN, that's a ton of money. 
But as society has changed in terms of the way they consume content, we're no longer tethered to our televisions, right? So, you know, you get stuff on your computer, you watch video on your smartphone, you watch video on your tablet, and now, you know, one of the, the big buzz terms in our industry are cable cutters because you now have Netflix, you now have Hulu, you now have Amazon. You don't want to go and pay all that money that you're paying for your cable bill every month. So you cut the cord. Or when you're dealing with a lot of the younger millennials and the Gen Z kids, they're not getting cable at all. And they're picking and choosing. And, and so it's really become, in, in terms of programming, we've become an a la carte audience. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And we don't want to pay for you know, what we call in the business bundles where you're getting all of these channels that you know, essentially you don't really want to watch. The biggest challenge for ESPN there is that if they're being forced to unbundle, they're not going to make as much money. Another one of the bigger challenges for ESPN is when Disney, as its parent company, has other assets, theme parks, whatever it is, that, that they're sort of struggling financially, they're pulling money from ESPN. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on on top of the fact that now more than ever, viewers have so many more choices. You know, just look at the college landscape alone. There's now the SEC network, the Longhorn network, the Big Ten network, the ACC. Like, everybody's got their own stuff. All of the NFL teams have their own broadcast channels. They're creating content. So, you know, if you're a diehard, you know, we'll just keep the two of us because we're in the same area. If you're a diehard Giants fan, Mets fan, Knicks fan, you can go straight to those sites and really find out whatever it is that you need to find out. You don't need ESPN anymore. Everything that you used to watch ESPN for is available before SportsCenter comes on. It's available immediately because you can go on your Twitter feed and find out exactly what's going on. So I think it's been a culmination of things that are hitting ESPN very hard. And what they've been trying to do over the last, you know, year, couple of years or so is recreate itself. But, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan, ESPN's not going away. They're maybe struggling, but they're still on top of the industry. They're still the worldwide leader, and, and I don't really sense that they're going away anytime soon. Very well spoken and, and and well said, and I agree they're not they're not going away anytime soon. And you know it's funny I never thought about the I always say you don't need to even though I read the newspaper every day I always say you, it almost feels ancient because by the time you get the newspaper in your hands you've not only watched the games or seen the highlights but then looked at every sort of analyze, analyzing and experts talking about it, but. Sports Center is the same thing. I mean, by the time the show comes on, you've read everything, you've seen everything. It's rare that yep. a sports fan hasn't looked at anything and it says, "Okay, I'm going to tune into Sports Center to see what's going on." It's basically the same as the evening news at this point, right? It's like you tune in at eleven o'clock to the Channel Two News, but you've heard everything that they're going to talk about if it's significant to the point that you want to hear it. So that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about Sports Center in that way, but you are right. It's becoming more and more, you know. Archaic because you've caught up with all the all the content already, and and it's really it's become so granular and customized that and this is why ESPN and and all newspapers for that matter have really started putting more of their resources toward the digital platforms because you know okay you go on ESPN 
and you customize it. You are a Mets fan, a Giants fan, a Knicks fan, and you can get push notifications. You can get notifications on your phone whenever there's something breaking about one of your teams. It's the whole reason why for a long time SportsCenter had a 6, and 11, and a 1 a.m., but it's why they started going live in the morning because if stuff was breaking, they wanted to be, they want to be in a position to be able to bring that news to their viewers. But, you know, most people are at work. They're not sitting there watching SportsCenter at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. They're on their computers. They've got their phone right next to them. They've probably got their tablet floating around. So, you know, it's the same thing. A generation from now, you still have a generation of older folks who are accustomed to going to the newspaper stand and buying a paper every day or having it delivered every day or having it tossed on the driveway every day. As those older folks, the silent generation, the baby boomer generation, start, you know, getting older and passing. I mean, look at the generation. My seven-year-old niece has had a tablet for two years. She's never seen a newspaper. And as the as these kids start getting older and they become the adult generation, I mean, I, the newspaper industry has been forced to adapt, just like the music industry has been forced to adapt, where people don't go out and buy records. They don't go buy DVDs. They download stuff. And you've got the Taylor Swifts of the world who have realized that there's a really viable monetization model there that artists have to push for. Like when Apple Music just came out and they were going to give people a three-month, you know, free subscription, and Taylor Swift was like, hell no, you're not. <laughs> and they uh-huh. listened to it. So it's, it, it's, the music industry is very emblematic of what's going on in the news industry. We, have to, we can't thwart technology. Ultimately, we have to embrace it. Yeah, no question. We're talking to the great Bonnie Bernstein. You can follow her on Twitter at Bonnie Bernstein. We know from the hyper data, Bonnie, with almost 120,000 followers on Twitter, and that's the best place to engage her. And you know, one of the things that I've uh, I love about you is how passionate you are about social media. And you know, and you know, you 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 you're on Snapchat. You're on all the channels. I guess recently, I guess about a year and a half ago, you you realized everything that was going on in the world of sports media and made a decision to go into uh, content and be the on-air host of Campus Insider and the VP of content. Talk to us a little bit about, A, why you made that decision, and, and B, what do you do every day? You know, what is this? Uh, why did you make this decision to, be, to, to park yourself in, in something around sort of college? Uh, talk, talk to the audience a little bit about Campus Insiders and, and why you made that decision to go as much into it as you have. Well, Campus Insiders is an all-digital college sports platform. Um, We have live events. We do more than 3,000 live events every year, football, basketball, Olympic sports. We also cover major events um, and what's going on during the season. We do uh, pretty deep dives in college football, college basketball, and all of the tentpole events in the college space, you know, college football playoff, Final Four, National Signing Day, and then take the college angle for the NFL and the NBA draft and, you know, a lot of recruiting stuff because for as, for as big as coverage is and as, as wide as coverage is for the NFL and college, now it's, it's really starting to filter down to the great prep kids and, and the five-star standouts. And if you know anybody who's passionate about their college football program, 
these folks are on, you know, they're in chat rooms and they're talking about this high school kid and that high school kid. And it's, it's kind of insane how much um, real fans know. But, you know, for me, Ryan, I've always enjoyed being on air, but I've, I've also always had this very entrepreneurial spirit. And I wanted to try to find a way to learn more about the business from behind the scenes, which you know, I was smart enough to realize it wasn't really something that I could go to ESPN and be like, hey, I want to be, uh, you know, VP now. And they'd be like, okay, yeah, no. And you see where the door is and don't want to kick you in the rear end on the way out. So for me, I felt having the opportunity to go work for a startup and be able to touch virtually every vertical of our business whether it's um, you know the distribution platform we have, so our content is seen on MSN and USA Today and AOL Huffington Post, and we were one of the initial launch partners. If if you have Verizon, they now have Go90, where they're pushing out a lot of content. We're on Apple TV, we're on Amazon, so and and all these other over-the-top platforms. So I've I've learned how that works. I've learned about marketing and social media strategy. I've you know, sat in on sales meetings and had all of these discussions about the way of the advertising world and how it's gravitating more and more toward branded content because, again, sort of going back to what we were talking about before and the way it's so different now in terms of how people consume their content, unless you're watching a live game, chances are you're going to DVR your favorite shows and what are you going to do? You're going to fast throw it through all the commercials. So, a client's not going to say, oh, I want to spend all of this money knowing that you're going to fast forward through our commercials. We want to be integrated into your content. So now, you know, like one of the big things in the industry is content brand integration. How are companies finding a way to work their product, their messaging, their service organically into the content that we produce, whether that's ESPN or CBS or Campus Insiders, and, you know, I'm sure it's something that you deal with every single day. So, you know, taking um, a, a bit of a step sideways and being in a startup situation where I could learn about all of these different aspects of the business, I think has, has not only, you know, put me in a position where you know, I want to be able to create shows and I know how to go pitch them to different outlets and I can help sell and bring in sponsors and all of these different things that, you know, as singularly as um, on-air talent, you know, I, they, those weren't skill sets that I had. So, you know, in a day and age where the inevitability is as we all get older, <laughs> we're not going to be on-air forever, but... I'm so passionate about my business that, you know, I wanted to start working on building a plan B to provide myself some security that even when it gets to the point where I'm not going to be on air anymore, I can take all of these behind-the-camera skill sets I've developed and really be more of a business person, be able to think about everything about packaging content on a macro level and, and not have to be so worried about, okay, well, at some point, I'm going to be too old to be on air, and what am I going to do next? I've, I've been very proactive about my what I'm doing next. 
it's incredibly impressive, and uh, and most people just don't look at it that way. They're so caught up in the moment. So it's you know it's when we talked a couple of weeks ago, I was I was fascinated to to hear about it, and and I've been fascinated throughout this you know this whole conversation. I I, I can't thank you enough <laughs> for you. spending twenty five twenty minutes on a Friday night, and uh, I guess what's supposed to be the summer um, on a on our first couple summer weekends. I, I appreciate it big time. It's it's I'm looking forward to spending some more time with you next week and uh, talking about some really good stuff together. Thank you. And I appreciate you just sharing some of the platforms. Like you had mentioned, you can find me on Twitter. And now I just did a Snapchat story. Ryan, are you on Snapchat? I am not. I I am not. It is such a fun way to tell stories. So folks, if you're out there listening and you're on Snapchat, I'm at um, it's Real Bonnie B, and I just did a fun one about my adventures today before I, I hopped on with you, Ryan. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Check Bonnie out on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, and Instagram, all the other channels. Facebook. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time today. Enjoy your weekend, and I'll catch up with you next week, ma'am. Okay, sounds good, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Be well, Bonnie. You too. Bye-bye. That was Bonnie Bernstein, one of the great – Sports journalists of the last 20 years, awesome stories to hear about her time at ESPN and CBS. You could follow her on Twitter, at Bonnie Bernstein, and she threw out her Snapchat also, uh, at RealBonnieB. So check her out. She's all about social media and absolutely impressive, and I loved every minute of talking to Bonnie. So thanks to, to her and her team at Campus Insiders for uh, having her on. And before we bring on uh, Tim Hayden from uh, Signal Labs, I quickly wanted to do the Hyper Heat Report, and uh, we won't get too deep into it today because Hyper is actually launching their 2.0 platform, and uh, and some of it is sort of here and there. So, but I did want to look at two guys. The first I want to look at is Kevin Love, and and obviously Kevin, a, a big topic of today's podcast and last night's game. And we know Kevin from the Hyper Data with almost two million followers on Twitter. One and a half million on Facebook and 1.3 million on Instagram. So clearly, Kevin Love, a guy who a lot of people are following. When you look at his audience demographics, we see aggregation-wise, Kevin with about 76% males versus 24% females who follow Kevin. You could find him from an engagement standpoint on Twitter and. Instagram, more than anything else, getting 33,000 likes for every one of his posts on Instagram. And about 50% of his followers are actually from the U.S. So 50% of Kevin Love's followers are outside the U.S., which is a little bit surprising uh, when you look at Kevin Love's data. And at the same time, I thought it would be interesting to look at a guy like Coach Steve Kerr, who uh, had a funny incident last night punching the clipboard and it exploding. And Kerr is actually only on Instagram with 3.6 thousand, so 3,600 followers on Instagram for Coach Kerr. And less than Kevin Love, Coach Kerr with about 45% of his following in the U.S., about 8% of his aggregated following in the Philippines. And we know Steve Kerr and his family have been sort of global uh, ambassadors to the U.S. for a long time. From an age standpoint, Steve Kerr's bulk of his age group is 33 to 39 and 26 to 32. That makes up about 60% of his social audience. So thanks to Hyper for that data today regarding Coach Kerr and, uh, and Kevin Love. 
And now we're joined by uh, Tim Hayden, Vice President of Marketing at Zignal Labs. Uh, Zignal Labs is a platform that enables real-time decision-making based on pulling all of this incredible data points in a split second. It really provides brands with incredible real-time data, gives them the ability to digest all the narrative and buzz that's out there, and, of course, takes in traditional media, social media, and TV media in real time in a customizable dashboard. Welcome to Inside the Burger Shop podcast, Tim. You guys are one of the leaders in the data space. How did you guys get started in this space? Did you, has your background always been in analytics? How did you guys get involved in being such a significant leader in the data analytics space? Well, thanks for having me inside the shop, Ryan, first and foremost. And uh, uh, you just asked me three questions. So, uh, me... <laughs> well, I expect three answers. I expect three answers. Yeah, and, I, and I'll give you three answers. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no uh, you know, I, I, I personally have been with the company for a little more than a year in a, in a full-time position. Before that, I sat on the advisory board, actually did a little bit of consulting with the shop. Uh, I personally have, have always – been deeply, um, I, I would say, interested in analytics, especially as the number of touch points has only grown and seems to grow every week. Um, you know, we have new social networks, we have new platforms, we have new devices that bring us new functionality, and uh, everything from uh, location-based analytics to, um, you know, biometrics and everything else that seem to be on our phones these days. It's, it, it is fascinating to see what this space of big data can do. Uh, Zignal Labs is a company that started in, in 2008, 2007-2008-ish, uh, 2000, when really Josh Ginsburg and Adam Bowe, our co-founders, had, had determined that there had to be a better way for the political space at the time the political space was using uh, some social monitoring tools that were only covering social monitoring, social media, pardon me, and, and they were using Google Alerts, or they were even worse using tools that were doing media clipping and giving you updates 24 hours after things happen. So what they wanted to do was to start to build a platform uh, that could basically analyze things as they happen, not just ingest it, not just not just receive data, but to be able to calculate it and analyze it based on what the questions you want to have answered. And um, uh, I think when you think about politics, politics is much much different than sports. I mean, it, it's competition. It is it is something that happens. You have yeah uh, you have a political candidate who is going from a stump speech in one city to a fundraising dinner in the next in the next city to uh, hopping on a plane and popping up for a breakfast a thousand miles away, the message may change. The media may say things about you, and, and, and you want to be able to deal with that as quick as you can. You want to be able to capitalize on the good. You want to isolate or, or uh, mitigate the, the negative things, and, and, and sports really is, is no different. Um, and and that's, I guess that's, that's what we're here to talk about today is, is understanding that you know, there are things that could be said about you in the news. There are things that could be said about you during a game, and, it, and, and no longer does that require you to be sitting in the seats all the time uh, to, uh, to be a part of the experience and better yet to share that experience. So as you, as you are the team, as you're the venue, as you're the league, as you're the athlete or the performer, um, you know, you, you want to have your finger on the pulse 
of of what public perception is or in terms of of what the brand uh of the of the team or the player may be and um and and that's that's what we really pride ourselves on being able to do here at Signal Labs in the sports industry. How different are you from a lot of the players when you look at sort of social monitoring or social listening? Do you guys are is you the biggest differentiator that you bring in other methods of media such as traditional media? Um, is that the biggest difference between you and, say, some of the um, listening tools like a Radiant 6 or others that sort of I would come across a lot in marketing or advertising? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Absolutely a great question. So many of the tools that came onto the scene for social listening and social monitoring, so many of those tools uh, were dealing with public APIs, uh, public APIs, as, as most everyone knows, are not very dependable. Um, the integrity of the data that comes through a public API is not always uh, is not always accurate and and or dependable. Um, the other side of that is that most folks are are using what uh, is often called the Deca hose. You know, it's it's only uh, one out of every ten mentions on Twitter, um, or even worse. Um, what's happening now um, when Facebook closed down its public API last year and made DataSift the arbiter of anonymous Facebook data, um, it it doesn't allow uh, a brand to see what's going on inside that social network. So we, uh, you know, we monitor public Facebook pages. Um, We can tell you what people are saying. Um, We can, we can certainly measure sentiment. We can certainly measure uh, to some degree, the the influence of of the people and what they're saying. Um, for Twitter, we bring in the entire fire hose. Um, with uh, Instagram, we're bringing in uh, everything possible that we can there as well. Um, we are bringing about 150 million blogs in from around the world in 130 countries and 50 different languages. And then we bring in LexisNexis uh, full text behind the firewall, about three million stories per day, um, and that's that's most of that's print media um, and uh, print media which has been digitized. And then we also bring in about a thousand television stations with a, a slight delay because we're we're bringing in the we we detect things because of the closed captioning being digitized, but we we bring in the actual video content to our platform so you can actually see. And view when a when a story uh, that has mentioned you or your competition or a trend that you're watching uh, is available. So that that right there, that that cross media um, and and the immediacy of it, and then the analysis of it and the visualization of it. That's what makes us very different and actually wholly unique in the space of of media analytics today. Very, very cool. And you guys are out on the West Coast, correct? Uh, Tim, out Zignal Labs is located where? So our headquarters is in San Francisco. We have a uh, our, our second biggest office is in D.C. And then we have uh, we have teams in the field in New York, Boston, Dallas, Chicago, Seattle, um, and, uh, and and soon to be in a few other cities. Very cool. Well, it's funny we 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 got connected through my guys at SB Radio and. Shout out to Brian Berger and all those guys. And I will be out there uh, in July for the Sports Business Summit uh, hosted by Twitter Sports and Bleacher Report. So I will make sure to ping you and we'll get together and chat a little San Fran and 
and Golden State basketball, as I'm sure it's pretty crazy out there this time of year, huh? <laughs> it is. It is. I I can be quite honest. I'm uh, I'm currently wearing a Texas Rangers T-shirt, and um, <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 originally from the Lone Star State, and then, uh, but uh, no, it's a it's a fun time to be in the Bay Area right now with the with the Sharks hanging in there right now. We you know we're hoping tomorrow night they get a win. Um, tough, yeah. Uh, tough and, losses those and, first two. They're right in the game, especially loss. game two. Oh. Exactly, exactly. But uh, you know the Giants right now being being atop the NL West and 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 the Warriors obviously and Steph Curry, you know Draymond, we quite the show here. There's no question. We're talking to Tim Hayden, who's the vice president of marketing at Zignal Labs, one of the leaders when it comes to data and real-time analytics for brands and specifically for sports when they want to understand who's talking about them and what are they saying. It's, it's interesting. I've been teaching a class for 11 years at NYU uh, on new media marketing, and I always start off my classes, the first class, by talking about how important it is to understand, A, who's talking about you, B, what they're saying, and see how to be part of that conversation. And you guys have done an incredible job of putting together the technology to identify who's saying what, what are they saying, and, and then packaging that and providing that to teams and leagues and brands so that those teams and leagues and brands could come to somebody like me and create ideas to help solve the situation of what people are saying so that they can answer that. I think one of the challenges is a lot of brands don't answer it. They may listen and not do anything, or they might not listen at all. I think those are brands that are in a lot of trouble because they are not answering uh, and engaging the the public, and and there's so much out there that can get away from you if you're not on top of it and managing it. So it's, you know, great to to hear all the things you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think um, uh, that, you know, what you can glean, whether you are in charge of communications or marketing or customer, guest, or fan care, uh, that experience that anyone's going to have, whether it's, whether it's there in the arena or the stadium or it is on their couch watching it on TV, I think having your finger on the pulse of what people are saying and how the media is translating stories, um, how the media is actually still responsible for dictating so much of how people think and feel and otherwise would support or even buy a ticket um, to a sporting event. Um, you know, being able to stay in front of that, being able to stay abreast of, of what's being reported and what's being shared and what's being experienced is critical today uh, in whatever decision you're making to be able to move the brand forward and, and as, I, as I said before, sell more tickets, sell more, uh, sell more uh, merch, uh, hot dogs, whatever it may be. You, you, have, you have business KPIs that help you understand what it is you're trying to drive forward, and this interconnected world we're in right now will, uh, in a moment, be able to make your life a, a sweet dream or an evil nightmare based on uh, whatever story is more popular or uh, or is just seem to be traveling uh, so fast across the, the media ecosystem. Hmm. Very, very interesting. I, I want to quickly chat with you about some of the work you guys have done. And I guess you sounds like you're in New York right now, even though I know you're not with all the, that sirens back there, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, no, San Francisco has its share of sirens for sure. <laughs> um, you guys have done some incredible work with the Sacramento Kings, some work with the Washington Post. Can you touch on a little bit about what that looks like, sort of how that uh, comes about? What are What is that work? How have you been able to help a basketball team like the Sacramento Kings, who obviously have a lot of people saying a lot of different things about them and as an organization and obviously all the things they've gone through over the past a uh, couple of years from coaching changes to ownership changes to, to player changes. And then some of the stuff with the Washington Post, which is obviously a, a, a newspaper, which I was just talking to Bonnie Bernstein about, who's, who went to Maryland, and we were talking a lot about the newspaper industry and how, how much it's changed. And just touch on a little bit of how you guys have done that work and where that has led to. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the Sacramento Kings, I've, you know, I, I can tell you a little bit about what they've done with us. Um, uh, that was a, we first started working them before I joined the company, and I've, I've been exposed to quite a bit of, of what we've done with them, but not all of it. Um, you know, you're, you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head with a, a few of the things. They've, um, you know, they've had less than, um, uh, less than great success, I think is, is a safe way to say it. <laughs> Uh, on the on the court, but they've uh, they've gone through new ownership and uh, some other changes with the team. And obviously, uh, you know, for the communications team there, they wanted to keep a a strong, uh, uh, I would say, just a, a strong hold of who in the media they needed to uh, give the most attention to. Who in the media? Did they need to be be in most communication with, in terms of interpreting some of those changes as they happened? Um, a to do everything they could to protect the the brand of the uh, you know of the franchise itself, but also to ensure that the the fan base uh, through and through uh, was steadfastly confident that the organization was going to come out on the other side of it and, and, and improve or, you know, be the team that, that folks want it to be. So, um, you know, there's the deeper side of that, which is understanding some of the audience analytics, um, getting into the segmentation of, of who a Kings fan is, uh, where do they live? Uh, because there's, there's things you can do with uh, geo analysis in our platform that allow you to understand that there may be certain parts of town or certain pockets of neighborhoods where there are people that are more vocal than others as games are played or just as the season is going along. And that can, that can also be very useful when you're, when you're going through some type of um, strategic conversation with perhaps a sponsor. Uh, the sponsors want to, they want to run promotions in grocery stores, the sponsors want to they want to run uh, ads on television or radio where they can actually be very accurate on the time of day. Certain promotions run; they can be very accurate in terms of the location that certain advertising may run. And if they're doing, if if they have that that inbound, uh, you know, some people call it listening, but the monitoring of of what's being said and what what media is doing to shape the perception of people by geography or by time of day or within certain social networks. It just helps them understand where they should probably do the next thing, which could be advertising or as simple as a Facebook post or uh, sending email to certain people at certain times of day 
based on their zip code. I mean, there's, it's just a, a fantastic way that, that data can help you really recalibrate how you want to reach out to folks. Um, the, the Washington Post, on the other hand, um, you know, we, we have enjoyed here at Zignal Labs, uh, we are the only company who is constantly watched since the very first candidate announced their run for the presidency. We are the only company who has constantly had this cross-media analysis of the entire White House contender race this time around. And um, we, it started with the debates, actually, where during the early Republican debates, when we had as many as, as uh, you know, 14 people on stage, uh, we, we were in a situation where uh, we could, with our, with our split-second uh, you know, split analysis, we were able to feed to the media what public perception was during the debate. And the Washington Post came to us and said, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate what you've been sending to us. Um, how can we start to – how do we understand that this goes far beyond just what happens on debate night? that there are, there are things that are going on throughout the course of a day in terms of announcements from the White House or global events or uh, natural disasters or state legislatures um, with, these, um, with the bathroom laws in the southeast. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, all of it was, was starting to shape not only what the candidates were saying, but also what um, the what voters were saying in reaction to them or in critiquing them. So uh, every day uh, during the week, we are we have what's called the signal visual, which is usually a chart or a graph of some analysis of something that happened in the previous 24 hours that uh, it exists in the power post and sometimes the daily 202 and then sometimes some feature stories with the Washington Post, but basically what they're doing is expanding coverage with us um, to not just uh, be able to deliver what a reporter has been able to um, put into an article, but also to put in some type of measurement and analysis of, of how the public has been reacting and which media drove stories or what statement from a candidate drove the largest amount of discourse in the public and put that into the story, and that, that certainly provides a quantifiable uh, uh, effect to, to the story, not just being able to say, hey, I talked to five people and this is what they said. It's that here we're, here's what 50,000 people said when Bernie Sanders made a joke about um, another candidate. Very, very cool, very cool. So what is next sort of this is obviously a big – Big uh, election year for you guys, so I'm sure you're going to be slammed with that. What is sort of the rest of 2016 look like for uh, for Signal Labs uh, as we sort of are halfway through the year today? Well, I mean, I think you've already said it uh, yourself. Uh, we're going to see you in July when you're out here. We're, uh, mm-hmm. we're a sponsor. Uh, yeah, we'll be a, a sponsor of the Sports PR Summit out here as well, and. Um, uh, the sports business, obviously, uh, the summertime, even though it's it's busy for for a league or two, especially this time of year with playoffs, um, 
you know, we, you know, we are continuing to talk with sports teams and leagues, uh, ownership and the venues about uh, new ways that they can use split-second media analysis that we can provide them to be able to drive their brands forward and to be able to make better decisions. So I, I see I see us expanding more into that industry. We're doing quite a bit in the life science and pharmaceutical business right now. And we also have a, a collaboration with NASDAQ Global Solutions uh, that allows us to work with investor relations and financial services companies to be able to reconcile everything from marketplace analytics, what's, what's happening in, in, the, uh, in the markets, uh, but what's also happening with, from an analyst standpoint, and how is public perception affecting those things. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're seeing new ways, I guess, uh, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this is that as we look to the end of the year, we're seeing new ways that what we're doing can be reconciled side-by-side, side, if not integrated, uh, we're launching an API that will allow us to, uh, to reconcile our data streams with, uh, and our analytics, I think is a better way to say it, with uh, systems that may measure sales or systems that may measure foot traffic in stores. So not only are we seeing what people think and what they say in Zig with Zigma Labs, but being able to reconcile that data with more of the behavioral analytics that maybe some other uh, uh, companies may have built proprietarily, or or may or may subscribe to through a third party vendor. Very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to spending some time out in the West Coast in July, and I absolutely can't wait to you know sit down with you guys and, and chat some more. I think uh, Hyper, which is the sponsor of the show and is the leader in influencer marketing with over 700 million influencer profiles, the, the, the Google of influencer marketing, as we like to say, could be a really interesting fit for what you guys are up to. So I, I thank you uh, in a big way for spending a couple minutes on the show this afternoon. Uh, I know it's a late on the day on on Friday, so appreciate the time and you know, look forward to continuing to watch the work that you and Zignal Labs continues to do. It's, it's some fascinating stuff, and, and uh, best of luck as you guys get through uh, the rest of basketball and into baseball and, of course, into the big election year uh, as we move forward into the Trump v. Uh, looks like Hillary Clinton battle. <laughs> yes, uh... Who knows what's going to happen at the conventions, but that's the way it looks like it's going to be. No, looking forward to it, Ryan, and uh, looking forward to uh, showing everybody in, in July when we, we see you at the Sports PR Summit. Uh, you know, what's happening with traditional media wagging the tail of social and vice versa. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch whenever you're looking at one of our screens. Fantastic. Thanks, Tim. Enjoy the weekend. Be well. You got it, Ryan. Bye-bye. That was uh, Tim Hayden. Vice President of Marketing of Zignal Labs. You can follow Zignal Labs on Twitter at Zignal, Z-I-G-N-A-L, Labs. Really interesting stuff they're doing. And you know, it is, there is nothing more important in the marketing space than understanding what consumers and what, brand, what, what consumers are saying about you as a brand and the fact that Zignal Labs develop a technology that pulls in not only what people are saying about you socially, but what people are saying about you in traditional media is, is a home run. 
So kudos to Tim Hayden and the team over at Zignal Labs for really, really making a difference in the space and looking forward to getting together with him and his team in, in July over at Twitter and spending a day at Twitter Sports hearing about all the, the, new, the new technology out there. So thanks to Tim and to Zignal Labs for coming on, and thanks to the, the uber-fascinating uh, Bonnie Bernstein and her team at Campus Insiders for having Bonnie into, on today, and really interesting to hear all the incredible stories and experiences that she's dealt with and she's been in the middle of and how she's been able to pivot what she's up to and uh, into an area that is really exciting and really interesting as she uh, looks to have a second aspect of her career, which will be more off-air. So thanks to everybody for listening today. Uh, thanks to the Crowds Line for uh, their partnership, and, of course, thanks to uh, the guys at Hyper for an incredible partnership and all the data today on Bonnie Bernstein, Kevin Love, Steve Kerr, and more. It's been a fun show today. Again, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, uh, Inside the Burger Shop. Enjoy your weekend, everybody, as my man Mad Dog Uso likes to say. Adios. That you heard about talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth. Social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be. Talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next. Cause that's the type of podcast you listen to. Powered by the hyper brands, who the man? Yo, Ryan at the forefront. Got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront. Listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything. Sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing. So listen to the man right ahead of his time on your podcast. You can download or listen live. So here comes the podcast, here comes your host. The Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast. In any way you want to do it, listen to the show. Ryan got the insights. The Burger Shop, you know.